G'day. Here's a thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems that often the most interesting and extraordinary human stories can be found right under your own nose. Really. Sometimes, even within your own family. I'm Warren Henry. Just ten days before my 21st birthday, my mum died. I still have strong feelings and memories of her, even though it's been many years now. After all, mums are amazing. Although maybe it shouldn't be, one of the more surprising things about mums, at least to their own kids, is the fact that they were young once. They had dreams and lives and loves, wins and losses, and all manner of adventures before we appeared on the scene. And they occurred in a world very different to the one today. Although she would never have thought of it in these terms, my mum was one of what has been called the greatest generation. Recently, more than 45 years after she passed away, I was handed a large cardboard box which, from its labelling, appeared to have originally contained a wedding dress. Whose, I have no idea. But I was told that it now held some of Mum's stuff. A treasure chest. A time capsule. Waiting to be opened. By me. Curious, I lifted the lid. Treasure chest and time capsule indeed. Because I saw it was filled with diaries and letters, documents, photograph albums. They called photos snaps back then. And mementos of a long distant time a time before children. They spoke of the life of a young woman and her dreams, and it was a life lived in the darkest of times, a darkness I can't even imagine. She'd be glad of that. I'm pretty sure she never thought these treasures would again see the light of day. But what a story they tell. Let's travel back in time, shall we? 75 years exactly, and I do mean exactly, to the very day. Just 75 years ago, much of our world lay in ruins. The guns of World War II may have fallen silent but the consequences and costs of the war years were only just starting to become apparent. Millions upon millions of people were displaced, homeless and starving. Disease was rampant. Even those countries which had been spared invasion suffered enormously. Shortages and rationing prevailed everywhere. But of course the greatest price paid was in the blood and lives cut short, the young men and women who would never return. This podcast series tells the story of UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration. UNRWA, which existed for only four short years, was the first and biggest international humanitarian relief effort ever mounted in human history. We now know how massive and how successful the effort was. 
While much of UNRWA's humanitarian work focused on the European war catastrophe, China had also suffered dreadfully at the hands of the Imperial Japanese Army. Indeed, where the European war is generally described as having begun with the invasion of Poland in 1939, the Japanese invasion of China had begun eight years earlier, in 1931. As we will discover, the post-war relief efforts in devastated and impoverished China, already a mammoth challenge, were further complicated by a growing civil war between the nationalist government, headed by Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek, and a communist insurgency led by Mao Zedong. In China, the busiest period for UNRWA was 1946 and 1947. Our story draws not only from an official history penned when UNRWA was winding up its activities in 1948, but from the rich personal observations, letters and reports of Betty Souter, a 28-year-old Australian war widow who chose to serve a year supporting the UNRWA relief effort in remote regional China. Betty wrote frequent letters during her 12-month service. This podcast will release each letter coinciding with the moment 75 years ago that it was written. You'll be joining her adventure live, well, almost, three quarters of a century later. We now know how things turned out, but of course she couldn't. The Empire of Japan formally surrendered on 15th of August 1945, finally bringing an end to World War II. Just over a month later, on 19th September 1945, Betty Souter received the worst news possible. Her beloved husband John, who had shipped out to help defend Singapore from invasion and had been reported as a prisoner of war, would not be coming home. He, like thousands of other servicemen, had died whilst performing slave labour, constructing the infamous Thai Burma Railroad. Just four years earlier, on 31st of May 1941, Betty Turton and John Souter had graduated law school together at the University of Sydney. Betty was one of the first female lawyers ever admitted into the New South Wales legal profession. On 6th of June, they excitedly registered their new legal partnership, Turton and Souter. Their joint practice was to be short-lived, however, as John enlisted in the Australian Army two months later. Betty and John married in North Sydney on 27th of September 1941. Less than a month later, he was off to war, and less than three weeks after arriving in Singapore it fell to the Japanese. As was true for so many others, Betty's grief on learning John would not be returning was overwhelming. In short order, she looked for something different to do. She didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. That was a dream she had shared with John. She needed something that might provide distraction from her pain. She heard UNRWA was looking for people to serve in war-torn China. China. At a time when Australian servicemen were still returning home, Betty wanted to head in the opposite direction. 
She'd already proven how headstrong she could be by persevering through law school. And so, she dissolved the law partnership and, on 2nd of January 1946, submitted her application to serve as a reports officer with UNRWA in China. The timing suggests there may have been an element of New Year's resolution in her decision. We can only imagine how horrified her parents must have been. Betty had survived infancy during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, spent a happy childhood with her four sisters in the Roaring Twenties, came of age during the Great Depression years, took on and conquered law school, married, kept the home fire burning for her love during World War, only to then experience the tragedy and heartbreak of ultimate loss. And she was still only 28 years old. As she would later tell an American journalist, she really didn't care whether she lived or died as she departed Sydney for Shanghai, China, on 26th of March 1946. Such was the depth of her pain. But depart she did. Aboard a C-47 aircraft, the military version of the famous Douglas DC-3, Our story of Betty's adventure begins as she relates her amazement at her first ever flight in an aircraft. Twenty sixth of March, nineteen forty six, Lennon's Hotel, Brisbane. Mother, dear. This letter is only being typed so that I can get in a bit of practice. It could easily have been written by hand, as I have a very posh writing desk here with all accessories. Oh, I've just realised I haven't bought a typewriter eraser with me, so please forgive the mistakes. Oh, golly, it's a funny typewriter. So many things are in different places, but I suppose I'll get used to it after a while. It was good to talk to you tonight. Already I feel that I've been away from home for a long time. It is strange to watch the ground from the plane passing by so slowly and then to think that you're travelling at the stupendous rate of 170 miles an hour. I had a chat with the pilot and learnt that we travelled at a height of 10,000 feet, nearly two miles above the earth. We came right over the flooded areas and could easily distinguish the stranded farmhouses and see the swollen creeks and rivers. Oh, I do keep missing that full stop, don't I? Not at any time... Did I feel the least bit sick, but on the contrary, tucked into my afternoon tea and enjoyed it immensely. We were supplied with the afternoon Sydney papers and barley sugar every now and again. If desired, even beer could be obtained. Unfortunately, I was on the wrong side of the plane for the views. The sun was shining on the wing and through my window all the way. But we took it in turns to have Mr Bishop's single seat on the other side at the back and had a grand view from there. The sky was amazingly clear all the way. There were a few fluffy clouds which we passed over, looking like those tufts of cotton wool we used to get out of the pods at Pointy. Yes, I think I picked out La Mocha correctly. I believe that I picked Glen Innes too. We landed at Archerfield on time, just after five. It was about six when we booked in here. I told Mars a bit about my accommodation here. 
all that could be desired. I'm heading for that beaut-looking bed in a few minutes and will not require any slumber songs, but in case I do, the wireless is right beside the bed. I'll say good night now, Mother dear. Thank you for the little note, which I did not take long to find. I'm looking forward to a few more words tomorrow night before we really start on the grand adventure. My very bestest love to you all from your very sleepy Betty. Episode 1 Production Credits Produced and narrated by Warren Henry Voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne And if you were wondering what the number one popular tune was as Betty departed Sydney on the 26th of March 1946 Here it is Oh, What It Seemed to Be by Frankie Carl and his orchestra. That's all that it was.